You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast about issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. We use our smartphones for so many things throughout the day. They can be our cameras, our grocery lists, our workstations, but can they also be our birth control? Fertility tracking or menstrual tracking apps are getting more and more popular. One was recently approved by the FDA to be used as birth control. On this episode of the Women's Health Cast, Dr. Eliza Bennett joins us to talk about fertility tracking apps, how they work, whether they're effective as contraception, and important questions about data security that we should consider before downloading menstrual tracking apps. I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Eliza Bennett back to the Women's Health Cast. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you for having me. Excited to talk about this topic. So your first visit with us, we talked about birth control, and I have to tell you, those are two of our most popular episodes still. Um, And today's kind of a continuation or sort of a related conversation. We're going to be talking about fertility and menstrual tracking apps and how they may or may not be used um, as birth control, kind of some of their ups and downs. Mm -hmm. So what what are these apps? When I say fertility or menstrual tracking apps, what am I talking about? So there are a lot of apps out there, um, that market themselves as period tracking apps, menstrual tracking apps, fertility tracking apps. And um, most of them basically use user input data, um, marking when their um, periods start and end, um, to and, and an underlying algorithm to sort of predict when the next period will be, when ovulation is, um, that sort of thing. Um, and some of them have uh, more elaborate data entry that um, that the users can can input um, that include things like basal body temperature, cervical mucus monitoring. Um, some of them even market themselves as apps that can sort of track and predict uh, mood symptoms or physical symptoms that go along with people's uh, periods, sort of uh, PMS and that sort of thing, um, and market themselves as able to sort of predict when those symptoms might happen. What is basal body temperature? So basal body temperature is the the basal temperature of a woman's body or anybody's body, but specifically in this in this context, a woman's body. Um, you know, sort of at night while she is at rest sleeping and basal body temperature changes with the uh, ovulation. So most women's basal body temperature in the first half of the menstrual menstrual cycle, the follicular phase will be a little lower. And then after ovulation, the basal body temperature rises because of the influence of progesterone. Basal body temperature is also elevated in pregnant women because that progesterone level stays elevated. Um, and so the change in basal body temperature is usually somewhere around um, uh, 0.4 degrees Celsius or Fahrenheit, excuse me, 0.4 degrees Fahrenheit for most women. And that change happens just after ovulation where, where that progesterone level rises. Uh, the trick with basal body temperature is that it has to be taken um, first thing in the morning before the um, person gets out of bed um, or does anything, has anything to eat, has anything to drink. Um, and so people have to be 
pretty rigorous about checking that basal body temperature um, as the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning. So when some of these apps are saying that they can work as birth control, and I think one was even FDA approved mm-hmm. not too, too long ago, um, are they going to be using basal body temperature as one of the calculations? So the Natural Cycles app is the FDA approved app for birth control. So it, it is supposed to be a natural contraceptive that people can use. Um, and this isn't a new idea. I mean, fertility awareness or, or natural family planning rhythm method has been around for a very long time. Um, and natural cycles basically took that old method of preventing pregnancy by um, abstaining from, from sex during the fertile time and made an app so that it can tell you when, when those times are that you're at risk of getting pregnant if you have sex. Um, and so what Natural Cycles does is use uh, a woman's uh, regular cycle that, data that she inputs into the um, app, as well as uh, if the woman chooses, she can get a basal body temperature thermometer, and it just has to be a little bit more precise than a thermometer that would only show you whole degrees, and puts that data as well into the app. The combination of just when the menstrual cycle occurs plus basal body temperature makes the app a little bit more accurate than if you just use the sort of counting days method. Um, because most most people have more variation than, than 28 days exactly in their cycle, um, the basal body temperature adds a little bit to that and, and helps the app be a little bit better at predicting when the fertile window is. So I want to ask then about what we know about how effective that method is or how effective the apps are as birth control because I feel like there's some understanding that the fertility method is is can be a little risky. Yep. So the WHO um, ca- uh, categorizes natural family planning or the rhythm method as a uh, you know sort of third tier in the efficacy, with the first tier being um, 99% effective, and that's your serialization, your long-acting reversible contraceptives. Second tier being in the 90 to 99% range, and that's your Depo um, Provera shot, your pills, your patches, your rings. Um, and then the third tier being less effective than that 90%, and that is condoms, um, uh, spermicide, sponge, um, withdrawal, and natural family planning is right in there. And, and the WHO uh, will report out natural family planning methods as about uh, having about a 24% failure rate. So that's still much better than not using anything for birth control, which has you know, about 85% of, of people will be pregnant at the end of a year if they use nothing. So it's, it's, it's okay, but it's not great. A 24% failure rate is, is pretty high. Um, now the Natural Cycles app in the data that they published, which is the research that they did on their own app. Mm-hmm. So there is the possibility of bias there, but the Natural Cycles app reported out a 93% efficacy. Um, and that's, that's you know, pretty good. Um, but there is a caveat there in that the natural family planning um, and these apps are useful for people that have regular schedules, um, can 
follow through on when to have sex and when not to have sex or when to use an additional form of protection when they're having sex. Um, and, um, you know, sort of have the ability to, um, to track their cycles and predict it over time. It's not something that you can use from day one and know when you're at risk. It takes a few months to get that information. So I wanted to ask, is there, basically, are there lifestyle considerations, which you kind of answered, and then um, are there, like, physical variances, um, variances in cycle that would make an app like that more or less effective as birth control? So it sounds like kind of. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for people with irregular cycles, using a natural family planning method is very difficult because you just don't know when ovulation is going to occur. If that if the cycle varies by more than a few days every month, um, it would be very, very difficult to predict accurately when ovulation would occur and would require a lot of very close surveillance of one's like cervical mucus and and daily basal body temperature taking and a a lot of things that people aren't necessarily um, able to do just based on on lifestyle. The other people that I would be very worried about is people that are shift workers because um, the basal body temperature uh, data is, is not accurate if you don't have a really regular schedule because you're cortisol levels and other other hormonal levels that are altered by altered schedules can affect basal body temperature and affect that data. Uh, travel is another issue that can, can change things. Changing time zones can, can have an effect on that, as well as things like illness. You mentioned cervical mucus tracking, and it's not precisely related to this app, but now I'm just a little curious mm-hmm. um, what people are doing and looking for. So in some studies, cervical mucus has been one of the um, better predictors of ovulation, um, more useful predictors, especially for for people that are attempting pregnancy. Um, And the way cervical mucus uh, tracking is done is women check their cervical mucus by um, sort of swiping across their cervix, getting a sample of that mucus and and, and stretching the mucus between their two fingers to see how stretchy and slippery that mucus is. Um, The cervical mucus changes prior to ovulation, so it is more useful in anticipating when ovulation is going to occur versus basal body temperature, which changes after ovulation, so is more retrospective. You can look back and see whether or not you had sex at the right time to get pregnant. you know, in retrospect, but with cervical mucus, you can sort of predict when you will be fertile um, and then and then have have sex if you're attempting pregnancy or avoid having sex if if you want to avoid pregnancy based on that cervical mucus. Um, and so in that it is prospective instead of retrospective, it is very helpful for people to um, use that as as a way to track. Changing gears a little bit, you started talking about using um, basal body temperature, cervical mucus, other things to to help inform when to have sex if you're trying to become pregnant. Mm-hmm. How how do you use how could one use these apps to help inform your fertility if your goal is to have a baby? 
And I think that's one of the great things about these apps is that a lot of times people are considering pregnancy and sort of maybe stop using a hormonal form of birth control in anticipation of wanting to be pregnant. Um, and I think the app can give people a really good idea of when they're ovulating and whether or not there's any issue with their body um, as they work towards a point in their life where they want to be pregnant. And I see a lot of people discontinuing hormonal birth control maybe a few months or a year before they really are planning on getting pregnant, but when a pregnancy wouldn't be disastrous would be acceptable for them and something they would welcome um, and and what the apps can do is is give people a method of tracking um, where they can learn am I ovulating regularly uh, you know do I have really long cycles do I have a really short luteal phase all of those things that can make it more difficult or more easy to become pregnant and so I think the more data that people use to put into these apps, the better the apps are at actually informing them about their ovulation and ab about their particular cycle. Um, and and the Natural Cycles app actually has a, a mode where people can convert from preventing pregnancy to attempting pregnancy. Um, and. Uh, they do have some data to show that it is helpful for people in terms of conceiving faster um, when they convert into the attempting pregnancy uh, cycles. That's actually good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really useful because I see a lot of people come in using these, these uh, fertility apps or these um, menstrual tracking apps um, where they maybe don't exactly understand what's going on or they're using an app that uses an algorithm that doesn't learn from them. The app just has a standard sort of prediction model just based on arithmetic um, and a set 28-day cycle. And if the app doesn't learn, then it won't be predictive for that individual person. So that's the important thing when using a menstrual cycle tracking app or a fertility uh predicting app is that it is an app that learns from you and and the data you put in and then gets smarter over time and the fda approved natural cycles app does have that built in and we know that because that's one of the the criteria that it needed um, to get approval now these other apps are not fda approved and they're not necessarily regulated in any way um, and so you know, you sort of have to go from app to app and, and see what the app sort of has in it and, and in terms of learning over time and predicting um, for you. In my experience, it feels like some tracking apps that maybe don't do as much learning from the information that users put in can't always accommodate a health change like changing your birth control or adding a birth control that might affect your cycle. So some apps just don't, it, they don't learn about you and they don't know exactly what's going on. And especially if you're using a hormonal birth control that is, you know, changing your cycle or suppressing menstruation, then the app can't really tell what's going on with you. Um, they're really designed for people that have 
natural cycles that aren't changed by a hormonal form of contraception. There was a review um, a, few, a number of years ago um, that was published in Obstetrics and Gynecology where they reviewed free period tra tracking apps available on the um, Apple Store and the Google Play Store. And in this review, they, they found that there was a large number of apps that were inaccurate. Um, it was about only in about 19% of the apps that they looked at um, out of about 110, 120 apps um, were accurate. Did it seem like, I'm, I'm just wondering how these apps, especially if they don't really do a good job of learning from user-specific data over mm -hmm. time, how they handle um, irregular cycles. Because I could see it being a useful tool for someone who's trying to get a better handle on what even happens with their cycle. I've it's kind of hard to track. I mean, it's not hard to track, but it would be nice to have a heads up sometimes, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so just like, like you experienced, some of the apps will suggest diagnoses or, or, or recommend evaluation. In somebody that has an ovulatory cycle, so they do not ovulate and they have very, very irregular bleeding, there is no app that is going to be able to be predictive because it's just not predictable. Like there are are people whose ovaries just don't function normally and an app isn't going to be able to figure out how their ovary is functioning. It will figure out your ovary is not functioning in any predictable manner. <laughs> um, and, and that is also useful though. I mean, that is useful for somebody to, to look at that and say, gosh, this, this isn't the way my ovaries sh should be working. And then to see a gynecologist um, for further evaluation, because there's all sorts of things that can cause ovarian dysfunction. Have you had much experience with people coming into your practice and like being able to show you data that they've tracked on an app for good or for bad, I guess? And, um, and is there information that people do track that is kind of actually more helpful for you to have? Mm -hmm. So whenever I have somebody that's coming in that's attempting pregnancy um, and either just has questions about you know, when they can get pregnant or, or has been attempting for a while and is, they're not conceiving, um, having a menstrual calendar is very, very helpful and having a calendar of when they had sex is helpful because sometimes I can simply look back at their menstrual calendar and when they're having sex and determine that, of course, you're not getting pregnant because here's when you're ovulating and you're never having sex, you know, in your fertile window. <laughs> so, you know, then I can give guidance, have sex these days and you'll probably conceive. And I have had many people successfully conceive just with that advice, just with, with that information. Um, and that doesn't require... An, an app that just requires simply keeping track of that data. Um, the app is nice though, because it is an easy way to keep track of it. They're usually um, pretty user-friendly. The interfaces are, are pretty easy. And so, um, you know, using an app is probably easier than just keeping track of it on a paper calendar, um, especially these days when hardly anybody has a paper calendar. What are the data security concerns? I mean, this. These apps track a lot of very personal information. Mm -hmm. um, they may not all have a, a proven track record of being particularly secure. What are some of the issues with tracking health information in, in that way? So there's a lot of privacy concerns with tracking health information. Many of these apps are 
the the security and, and privacy settings uh, are not well disclosed, what the companies do with this data that they have harvested it is not well understood or well known. Um, uh, you know, many of these companies do sell users' data um, to different organizations. A lot of times it's just for marketing, um, but, but most of these apps will have ads and they will sometimes have direct marketing ads based on what the app determines is this particular pay, person's intent, you know, whether it is you know, trying to conceive or, or preventing pregnancy, um, they'll, they'll market specific things to that individual um, based on the data that they put in. Um, and then, you know, anytime health information is disclosed, there is a chance that um, those, that data, that information um, could be disclosed um, to someone that, that a person doesn't want that data disclosed to. And so I think it is important to consider um, your privacy and, and what kind of information you would be comfortable with being shared um, and the entities that you're sharing that data with. And I, I think that we don't have a good handle on what's being done with this information. Um, and so I would, I would be a little bit wary um, if I were a user of one of these apps with, with how public that information is. One of the, so later in the fall, sometime in September or so, Apple's going to release a new operating system, an upgraded operating system, and um, they'll be integrating cycles into their health platform. And I guess one of the um, possible, I don't, I don't want to say benefits exactly, but uh, an interesting feature of that is that any data tracked in the health cycles, any anything tracked in the health platform on Apple products is locally saved only. Um, so Apple doesn't have like a repository of that information, um, which is kind of why I wanted to talk to you. I'm just mm-hmm, made, mm-hmm. made me feel extra curious about it. Well, and and locally saved data is is more secure and more private than. Um, you know, data that goes back to these companies that are not regulated and and don't have any kind of, they're not healthcare, they are commercial apps. And so they, they don't have any kind of oversight from organizations that normally have oversight over healthcare information. So your physician, your hospital, um, pharmacies, they're all regulated under really strict rules about um, disclosing personal or private patient information. Commercial apps are are not under any kind of jurisdiction like that. And so what people expect, the privacy levels that they expect from their physician um, can't be expected from these entities that are online. And I think more and more people are, are sharing a lot of information publicly, but more and more we're finding out that that publicly shared data can maybe be used in, in rather manipulative ways, um, you know, in terms of marketing and, and other sorts of things. What questions or concerns should somebody ask themselves or think about um, if they're trying to figure out whether using an app like this is a good option for them? So 
I think people should think really, really carefully. If you're, if you're thinking about using an app as a form of contraception, people need to think really carefully about their lifestyle um, and, and whether or not that app would fit into their lifestyle and whether or not they would want that level of risk of an unintended pregnancy up to 24% per year. Um, I think for people that just want data and they want to know about their own body and what's going on and aren't necessarily using it for contraception, I think that data is useful, but they should be thinking about who else has access to that data and making sure that their information is secure and private when they look at the settings on the app, making sure that there isn't uh, access to other parts of their phone or, or computer that could give additional data that they wouldn't want to be disclosed. There's no reason that a period tracking app needs to have access to your camera or your email or uh, your location, your location uh, and making sure to, to change those settings to make it as secure and private as possible. But I do think that these apps are really useful for people in terms of knowing about their body and knowing what's going on. And sometimes people have a lot of health concerns surrounding their period, mood changes, pain, uh, other symptoms, bowel symptoms, bladder symptoms that go along with their menstrual cycles. And tracking those symptoms with their cycles can give them insight and it can help their physician if they come in for a visit, if they have all of that information there. It makes it easier to come to a diagnosis, makes it uh, easier to, to sort of analyze what's going on with a patient and, and help them to solve problems that they have around their menstrual cycles. Thank you so much for talking with me about this. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me. Opioid use in general, as well as opioid use during pregnancy, is happening more and more across the country. On the next Women's Health Cast, maternal-fetal medicine Jackie Adams will talk about some of the risks to using opioids while pregnant and a new program she started to support moms with opioid use disorder. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Please let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health topic you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening. <laughs>